If you have a Bible, turn with me, if you will, please, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Choir, band, Ricky, brothers and sisters, I could listen to you all day long. And uh, I was a drummer in a former life, so I could especially, I forget, uh, pardon me for not remembering the drummer's name, but especially that, that's fantastic. And uh, it's good stuff, brother. And um, I'm grateful to be a part of you, your life here today. Uh, next week, so this week, I'm here again. Uh, just to kind of give you a forecast of where we're going. Again, last week we were uh, looking at going as Jesus goes from Acts chapter 1. And then this week we're in Mark chapter 10. We are focusing on doing as Christ does. And then next week I'll be away. Dr. Rice will be here. You'll be in very capable hands. You'll be looking at loving as Christ loves, perhaps the most important component of what we're doing here over these three weeks. Uh, and I just want to stop here for just a moment and thank my brother uh, Bo for jumping into this with us and uh, walking with you through this process. This is a great privilege for both of us. But it, frankly, for me personally, it's just a lot of fun to get to do this with a friend of mine like Bo Rice and uh, to be here together. So thank you, bro, for being here. Um, you know, this is why we're doing this series. Let me just say this very quickly, and then we're going to jump into the text and, and see what the scriptures have to say to us. As, as believers, or really just as people, but as believers, we have this tendency to overcomplicate things. And really, I, I know that there's a lot of things in our life, and there's a lot of things in our ministry, and there's a lot of things that go on that is indeed complex. And we have to deal with those complexities. I'm not saying those things don't matter. I'm not saying those things don't have to get done. But at the end of the day, walking with Jesus really is a simple matter. I'm not saying it's an easy matter. Right? In fact, in many ways, it's an impossible thing to do because Christ calls you to do things that are beyond yourself and you can only do it by His power and by His grace. It's just simple in the sense that there's a basicness to it. Right? I mean, really, when it comes down to it, what we are supposed to do, no matter what your vocation is, no matter how you pay your bills, every man, every woman in this room, every man and woman around the world for all of history that were believers what we're really supposed to be doing is, well, going as Jesus goes and doing as Jesus does and loving as Jesus loves. We are to be followers, my brothers and sisters. It really is that simple. And so what we want to do here last week, this week, and the next week is just, again, cast vision for this body for this season of time. Maybe, indeed, there are other things that we'll turn our attention to in coming months and coming years but for now, in this season, let's at least do this. Let's be a people that go to the places that Jesus goes. Let's be a people that does the things that Jesus himself does. And let's be a people that loves the way that Jesus loves. Let's keep it just that simple. And to that end, I want to challenge you as a body throughout this week. Look, don't just let this sermon or these sermons be something that you come to and you listen and then you go off and say that was either good or bad or something like that. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to have conversations with your families around the lunch table this afternoon or the dinner table, or sit around at night with your spouse in, in bed before you go to sleep and consider this together. Certainly take the opportunity individually in the privacy and in the quietness of your own heart to ask yourself these types of reflective questions. Am I going to the places that Jesus would go to? Am I doing the things that Jesus would be doing? Am I loving the way that Jesus loves. And however you answer that question, 
or those questions, make the appropriate adjustments before God and ask Him to bless you in so doing it. And I trust that if we collectively do that, not only are our individual lives going to be a blessing to the Lord and blessed ourselves, but then collectively, the corporate nature of how that will accumulate exponentially as we gather together that God will bless our socks off and that He will be pleased in what we do. So let's just strive to keep it that simple. Go where He goes, do what He does, love the way He loves. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. It was one of my... I would say favorite passages of Scripture, but that's not quite true. It's been one of the most central passages of Scripture in my life, in my Christian life, because God has on more than one occasion punched me in the mouth with this passage of Scripture. You see, I have a propensity towards arrogance. I have a propensity towards pride. I have a propensity towards seeking my own or building my own kingdom And Jesus, on more than one occasion, has spoken to me through this passage of Scripture. Mark chapter 35, the Bible says this, And then James and John, these are two of the disciples, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, they came to him saying, Teacher, we want for you to do for us whatever it is that we ask. And I like to point out as I read this passage that at that point in the conversation, someone needed to slap these guys across the head. Jesus doesn't. Typical Jesus, right? Very gracious, very kind, very patient. He humors them. Verse 36, and he said to them, okay, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They have no idea what he's really asking them. And so they say, verse 39, they said to him, we are able. Caution, brothers and sisters, never be overconfident in your walk with God that you've got this, that you are able. And so Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism that I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Not for the right reasons, mind you. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 43, please hear what Jesus says next. Listen to this phrase. Yet it shall not be so among you. Let me read that again. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you will be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be slave to all. Now listen to verse 45. This is Christ himself calling us to follow him. Verse 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Father, 
Help us as your people to recalibrate our lives, to examine our lives honestly before you, both in this moment and in all the other secret, private moments of our life. Would you help us, Father, to crucify within us the flesh that cries out for mine, 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 mine. Me, 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 me. Give us a vision, I pray, for you and your glory, for your kingdom that will come. Help us, Father, as a people to find the true life that is found only in laying down life. And finding the sweetness of walking with you. Lord, we love you. We grieve that we don't love you enough. Teach us. Shape us. Form us. To be who you've called us to be. We may find life in it. We love you and we give ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's a question for you this morning. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? Does it mean that you have a curriculum called discipleship that you go through, that you study? Does it mean that you attend programs at your church or other types of non-denominational or extra uh, parachurch types of ministries? Does it mean that you fight certain types of battles? Does it mean that you take for yourself particular positions? What does it mean exactly to be a disciple? You see, the disciples here in this passage of Scripture, though they were in fact disciples, clearly still got it all backwards. It's funny, 2,000 years have gone by since this encounter with Jesus and the disciples here. And in many ways, everything has changed. Think about how the world has changed since those moments, right? We have high-speed internet. We have big, long tubes with wings that you can get in and fly across oceans. We have the medical capacity to open people's chests, take their heart out, and put new hearts in, and crank them back up and let them live for another 25 years. It's an amazing difference to think about the difference between the the world of James and John and Jesus and our world today, and yet there's another sense in which absolutely nothing has changed whatsoever. When you look at the, the Scriptures and you see the stories, these stories, think of them this way, they are like snapshots of the disciples. A better way of saying that, they are like snapshots of human nature. They take a picture of what we look like. And in this sense, when we look at James and John, it's very easy for us to see what they're asking for here and be somewhat disgusted by it. I mean, we read these passages of Scripture, and in fact, in many ways, this will be my goal today, is to walk through these passages and go, oh my gosh, guys, what in the world are you doing? And yet, as I protest against them, I do so with a broken heart because when I gaze into the mirror and look at the depths of my own soul, I see the same types of stuff. People that are just inclined to whether we mean to or not, whether we would verbalize it or not, whether we're conscious of it or not, are just by default oriented in such a way that everything is about me and mine. 
And therefore, our prayers are shaped that way. Our efforts are bent that way. Everything we do becomes consumed with building ourselves and our own little kingdom. And yet, to be a disciple is to die. What does it mean to be a disciple? Number one, discipleship is about submission, not about personal gain. Discipleship is about us coming into submission to the great King of heaven and surrendering our lives to Him the way He taught us to. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. A way to pray that in our own life would be like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. In other words, what we do, what Jesus teaches us to pray, the way Jesus taught us to live is that as a disciple, we give our lives in submission to that king and his kingdom, not this little king and my little kingdom. And yet that's not what the disciples understood. James and John, they come to Jesus, and can you imagine the audacity of their claim? They come to the living Christ and what they, can, what they are consumed with, what they care the most about, is the thrones that they will sit on. The recognition that they will receive. The position and station in life that they will assume. They have no regard for Christ Himself. I mean, it's really astounding on a number of levels when you think about what they're asking. First of all, they're asking Jesus, the one who created all this stuff, with a simple word to elevate them roughly to His same status. Right, Lord, what I really want, what I'm really obsessed with, what I really care a lot about is that when it's all said and done and you're sitting on your throne, that I'm right there beside you on the right or on the left. What they cared about was their own throne and their own position. They asked Jesus for that. They asked to sit in the highest possible seats. And you know what really gets me? When you rewind just a little bit the passage right before this, in fact, in your Bible, look back still in chapter 10, verse 32 to verse number 34. Note the backdrop of this request. They have just asked Jesus, Hey, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, let us sit beside you in, in glory. Exalt us too. And the backdrop of this, verse 32, Now, when they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed, and they followed, and they were afraid. And he took the twelve aside again, and he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Watch this, verse 33. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles." And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will be raised again. That's what Jesus just said to them. Imagine the insult that as a father I would feel if I walked into my house and I told my children, I'm dying. I'll die tomorrow. And all they would say to me in return is, well, can I have your clothes? Can we get pizza tonight? Will you make him stop doing this to me? I mean, just the slap in the face. Where is the love and the affection and the devotion and the concern for Christ their Lord? Jesus has just told them major, listen to this, major kingdom eschatological things that are about to happen. I mean, Jesus has just revealed to them a major piece of the outflowing of God's kingdom that involves nails for Him and death for Him. And yet, 
all they can think about is their own position and station in this world. My gosh, how putrid, how disgusting, how repugnant the state of their souls. And yet again, I have to say to you, as we, as we lament their response together this morning collectively, do so with a real gaze into the mirror. And ask ourselves this, am I different? Am I consumed with the same? Do I live this whole kingdom life with a what's in it for me? Me, 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 mine, 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 mine. Or is my life the life of a disciple, which is actually a life of submission to Christ? Here's what Paul tells us, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You know this passage. But let it not be just a cutesy phrase that we say in Sunday school. No, 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 no. Listen to what he says. I am crucified with Christ. You know what we celebrate baptism? I mean, why do Baptists care so much about the dunking versus sprinkling? Well, why do we do that? I mean, that's the kind of the thing we're known for, right? Believer's baptism, meaning we do it after you are converted. Number one, not before. This is why we don't dunk babies, right? Because they haven't come to Christ yet. And then the dunking, that really matters to us. Why? Because there's deep symbolism in this, y'all. When we stand in those waters and we baptize someone, we celebrate the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His physical death, burial, and resurrection. It symbolically preaches and proclaims this. But there's two more deaths and resurrections symbolized in this too. First of all, your physical death, you will die. You will be buried. And you too, this is the promise of Christianity, shall be raised. You're preaching and proclaiming that when you stand in those waters as well. But there's another death It's not just your physical death, burial, and resurrection. Listen, it is your spiritual death, burial, and resurrection. Listen, a believer is someone who's laid down his or her life. We now lay it down and we die to self and we take up life again in Christ to live it for Him, Paul says. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a passage we've looked at together. The love of Christ compels me that since one died for all, then all now live no longer for themselves, but for Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple, first of all? To be a disciple, what this is really all about, whether you're a pastor or a doctor, a missionary, a lawyer, If you are a Christian, to be a disciple is to lay down your life in submission, not to build a kingdom for ourselves, number one. Number two, discipleship is about, listen to this, it gets harder for us, folks. I'm sorry, but listen, it just, it does. Discipleship is about death and sacrifice, not comfort and ease. Discipleship is about death and sacrifice, not comfort, not ease. I mean, this is what the disciples want, right? We want, when we come into your kingdom, to sit at your right and at your left. And Jesus looks at them in verse 38 and says, you don't have a clue what you're asking for. And then he asks them this question. You really want to follow me? Because that's what they're saying. They want, we want to follow you. But see, following Christ in their minds means being exalted, 
What Christ now asks, he says, when he's asking these questions about baptism and cup drinking, what he's really asking is, are, are, do you really want to follow me? Because let me describe what that means and what's entailed within that. So to follow me, you want to follow me? Consider where Christ is himself going to go. He will be baptized with a baptism. Again, what is baptism all about? It's symbolically reflecting death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is saying, I am going to die. I'm going to be raised up. Can you? What he's asking them now is, can you die with me? Can you drink of the cup that I will drink? What cup? Garden of Gethsemane here, folks. Christ the Son is there in the garden, and the weight of all of this is mounting upon him. And he cries out to the Father himself, perhaps the most beautiful, tragic, moving parts of all of the Bible. Father, if it is possible, if, if what is the it there? If what is possible, if it's possible for salvation to come any other way, if you can redeem them any other way other than me going to that cross, Father, please do it. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Remember the, the, the Lord's Supper, the Passover, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. This is the, the, the bread broken, my body broken for you. This is the cup, my, my blood poured out for you. Jesus, when he talks about that cup, he's talking about his blood being poured out. He's talking about the suffering. It's not just death, it's the suffering that comes along with this. They want to say, I want to follow. But in, again, in their mind, to follow is to be exalted. Squash that idea, church. To follow Christ is not to be exalted. In fact, to follow Christ is to be forgotten. Each of us, listen, here's, a, here's the true reality of all of our lives. There comes a day when this world will not forget, will not remember you. When they won't remember your name anymore. But we can build a kingdom and we can do it for Christ and see redemption come to millions, billions of people and that will last forever. Christ calls us not to, to have all of our ease and our comfort, but rather He calls us into a life of suffering and of death. Can you drink, can you be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And can you drink of the cup that, I, that we drink? And they say in verse 39, we are able. They clearly don't have a clue what they're talking about and they clearly don't understand what Jesus is teaching them. Well, be that as it may, verse 39, and so Jesus said to them, listen to this, Disciple, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Jesus is saying those things are coming for you. Look, we see James and John here in a bad moment of their life. We see James and John in a moment when it's all about them, but praise the Lamb, there comes a day when these men will get it. And when these men, more beautifully than getting it, will indeed offer it. And when they do, they stand tall for Christ. And while they show us an example today of what we shouldn't be, they will at one point give us an example of what we should be. Men and women that leave it all here for Christ. 
and sacrifice for him. Look, here's the, here's the truth of the matter. If I can shoot straight, maybe there are some of us in this room that will indeed uh, end up in places either in this country or in other places where we have to give our lives for the cause of Christ. That, that's actually not outside the question. Just yesterday, I was looking on social media and I saw a, a friend of mine from a, a ministry I was connected with back in North Carolina talking about a new brother in Christ that they recently led to the Lord that was currently being tortured those very hours that he was writing. I mean, look, that could happen, but here's the real truth. Probably most of us in this room won't have to do that. So, you know what? What we could do, though, is lay down our life as a sacrifice from the here and now to die to the things of this world that charm us the most and let our charm be found in obedience to Christ Himself. Discipleship's about death and sacrifice. It's not about comfort and ease. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 25. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen, church, brothers, sisters, can I just say this to you? We believe that or we don't. Those aren't just nice words Jesus says. Listen again to what he says. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Look, there's a way to make it worse, and it's to try to hang on to it. And there's a way to make it beautiful and life-giving, and it's to let go of it. And trust that the almighty, wise, perfectly loving God knows what's best for you better than you do. I got to tell you, I have learned this lesson again. I have been reminded of this lesson again in the last year. Uh, Man, if you'd have told me a year ago I'd live in New Orleans, I'd have said, you're crazy. There's no way I'm doing that. I was comfortable. I was happy. I mean, I wanted so desperately to give my life for Christ, but I also wanted to hang on to my very comfortable life. And then God steps in, who, by the way, has the right to do so, and radically disrupted our life. And i got to tell you now, today, I'm so glad that He did. Because I've learned again, I've le- you know, there's some lessons in life that you learn one time and you're good. And then there's a lot of these lessons you learn again and again and again and again. There are, you get refresher courses on them. This has been a refresher course on me. I've learned again, I've tasted again and seen that my God knew better than me the whole time anyway. And what I didn't want was actually what was best for me. What I didn't seek was actually that which would give me the most joy in life. And so what did we do? God pushes us down to the ground and we lay it all down Here we stand and I praise God for His great wisdom and love. To hang on to it is to lose it. And to let go of it is to find it. Jesus knows this. Thirdly, discipleship is about servanthood, not lordship. Discipleship is about servanthood, not lordship. So the disciples say, yep, we got this, verse 39. Jesus tells them, verse 39, you will drink, you will be baptized. Verse 40, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to give. Verse 41, and when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But as I said when I read this, it's not for the right reasons. It's not like they heard James and John asking for this and say, what are y'all doing? That's awful. No, what they were mad about was that James and John beat them to the punch. That's really 
according to what other Gospels say about these types of encounters, that's really what's going on there. James, they, the other ten were just mad that James and John beat them to the ask. So Jesus now has to lay down the law. Listen to verse 42. Jesus called them to himself. He said, listen to me. You men have got this all wrong. You have, because again, to sit on the right and the left is to be lords over, right? You've got this all wrong. And now he shows them the way of the pagan. Can we pause there for just a second and let that seek in? The status seeking, the lordship seeking, that's what lost people do. That's essentially what Jesus is going to say to them right here. That's the way lost people, pagan people, that's their heart, that's their life, that's their model, not mine. Verse 42, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them. I mean, look, Gentile people, lost people, pagan people, this is their model, right? They seek the throne. Why? So they can lord and master over other people. That is the way of lost people. That's the way of the Gentiles. They lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. That is what lost pagan people do. Verse 43. This is for every one of us in here. Jesus now having shown them the way of pagan people, lost people. Verse 43. Yet it shall not be so among you. It's not supposed to look like that with us. It's not supposed to be that way with us. It's supposed to be different. The lost world should be able to look at what they find in us and see something totally different from what they see everywhere else in this world. I mean, think about it. Everywhere you go in this world, people jockey, they scheme, they manipulate, they twist, they do whatever they have to do to climb, climb, climb. They tear people down. Why? So they can look big. And I want to just say this right now. If that's you, I know of no way to make yourself look really small and really dinky than to tear other people down. That's the way of the lost people. Yet it shall not be so among us. It's not supposed to be that way with us. Yet it shall not be so among you. But listen to this. Here's the way of Christ. Here is the way of our Lord. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be a servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be last. Everything is backwards in God's kingdom, isn't it? I mean, look, you'd think the way to get what you most want and need, the way to really satisfy your own soul and heart is to scratch and to claw and to labor and to toil and to do everything you can to get and to keep. And yet Jesus says the opposite. No. That's the way to lose it. The way to find it is to let it go and let God Himself give to you what He most wants. It's backwards here too. Listen, the way of Christ is not to climb and to scratch and to try to get above everybody else so that you can power down. No. It's to make yourself low. The way of Christ is to get as low as you possibly can and to serve. Here's a picture to describe what I think Jesus is getting at. Not, not up on the board. Let me paint the picture for you in my words, okay? Imagine there's this big wall that we've all got to climb over. 
inevitably what would happen is that somebody would run up to that wall first and they would get down at the base of that wall and they'd get down like this and they put their hands like this and they would say to them with body language and the word, come, step on me to climb. I will hoist you up. That's the picture that Christ gives us. Whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. Verse 44, whoever desires to be first shall be slave to all. And now Jesus, basically in verse 45, says, follow me. Follow me. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. What you find in Christ is the antithesis of what we find in the world. The world says fight. The world says jockey. The world says scratch and claw. The world says manipulate and cheat and do whatever you have to do to climb high. And Jesus, the one who is God, the one who spoke and brought it all into existence, the one who has and will sit enthroned upon the universe, and rule over it all, steps into this world in the form of a man and becomes a servant and humbles himself to death, even death on a cross, Philippians chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul says, you let that same mind that was in him be in us. Jesus the Lord Christ, who though he is God, would stoop, before his disciples with a towel and a basin, and he would wash the disciples' feet. As scholars rightly point out, this is the most scummy, filthy, awful, despicable job that the lowest slaves in the house would despise doing. And Christ says, I'll do it. I'll serve. And in doing this, I say this to you. Listen to me. Here's what I want you to see. Christ is, yes, for us, atonement and propitiation and shed blood for us so that the wrath of God will not fall on us. Yes, He is our salvation, but hear me also. He is also our example. He is also our example of how it's supposed to look. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be first would be the lowest. Let me ask you a couple questions as we close. Do you follow Christ for what's in it for you? Or do you follow Christ with a heart of submission? Believers, followers, they go where He goes. Right? Believers, followers, they do as Christ does. Do you expect comfort and ease in your walk with God? Are you willing to suffer and sacrifice? Now let me just say this to you real quick, because I know that's hard, right? That's hard to think about that, but here's what will happen. There will come a time in our labor and our toil for Christ. It's not easy. Sometimes it is discouraging. It is often hard and difficult. But there will come a time when our time is up and we will walk away from this life we will cease to be here on this earth. Our, our hearts will beat for that last time. Our brains will send out that last wavelength. Our lungs will exhale for that last time. And then we will see Christ. And on that day, every tear, every toil, every difficulty, every sorrow will be worth it all. 
Do you expect comfort and ease or are you willing to suffer and sacrifice? Thirdly and finally, do you take the posture of a servant? Or do you try to lord it over other people? What's a follower of Jesus? Followers go where he goes. Followers do what he does. Followers love what he loves. I challenge you, church, keep it that simple. Examine your life. Recalibrate your life to be someone who goes where he goes, who does what he does, and who loves what he loves. Father, help us to that end, we pray. You have rebuked me so many times for what it is that I seek, what it is that I'm about. And yet you've also, Father, been so incredibly kind and that in those moments of repentance, turning, giving, and sacrificing, Father, you've met me and the saints of old could give the same testimony too. And the saints of this church could give the same testimony. That in those moments you meet us there and you give us a greater sweetness, a greater pleasure, a greater joy, a greater satisfaction than anything in this world could ever give us. Indeed, Father, you've taught us, you've molded us and shaped us in such a way that less and less of this world charms us and more and more of you does. God, continue that work in us, shaping us and forming us. We ask that you conform us, your people, to your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.